This is internationally best-selling indie author, Michael Brent Collings, inviting you to join me at bestsellerlife.com DCR to unlock my tips, tricks, and hacks for a successful writing career. So go to bestsellerlife.com DCR and kickstart your writing adventure today. This is Daniel. And this is Krebs. This is Alton. And I am Matai. And you're listening to Dungeon Crawlers Radio, the greatest geek podcast out there. Hello, Dungeon Crawlers. This is Matai, and I have a very special guest with me right now, author Jody Lynn Nye. Hi there. Hi there. Happy to be here. So glad to catch you. This wonderful opportunity here at FanX. And uh, you're celebrating a very special achievement. Why don't you tell our audience about this, uh, this award? Well, a year and a half ago, about maybe a little bit more, I was named the coordinating judge of the Writers of the Future mm-hmm. co- uh, writing contest. And it's been an adjustment, but it's been an honor. Mm-hmm. And I've had a lot of fun picking stories. There's been some just amazing pieces of literature. Wow. Some really promising young people. Great. Uh, t- so tell us a little bit about that. Writers of the Future is a, an anthology, right? Yes. The, it is a huge contest. It's free to enter every quarter. And you can keep on entering as an amateur until you either become a pro or you win the contest. So 12 winners a year, first, second, and third place in every quarter, are flown to Hollywood in April of every year. For a an honest to God red carpet black tie gala, <laughs> and a week long seminar with all of the judges who wish to attend, such as Larry Niven, Kevin J. Anderson, Nettie Okrafor, and taught by me and Tim Powers, mm-hmm. of course, best selling fantasy author. Uh-huh. And the, the it's a big boost for a young person who is writing short stories. So, if if. Talent will talent will show because we do find the the best of the best. Can you give us a preview? What are a couple of the stories that really stood out to you from the latest volume? Oh wow! I don't know if I'm allowed to talk to the one talk about the ones that are are currently waiting to. Although the names the names have been publicized, mm-hmm. but I I will have to say that there's there's a really interesting creepy horror story. There's one that uh, was just named as a winner that is a hilarious story about a man who makes friends with a planet-killing AI. <laughs> As one does. And I love it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's fantastic. So, uh, Jody, you have quite uh, a repertoire of, of books. Do you, you have any idea how many uh, have been published? Books? Uh-huh. About 56 books and about 175, 180 short stories. So, just so, so many, so many. What are yeah. some of the uh, the highlights of your course? Some of the some of the big books that you've done. Well, I'm still proud of my first fantasy novel, Mythology 101. Uh-huh. A college student who believes in magic with all of his heart discovers there are little people living in the basement of his college library, the college library that he is trying to uh, campaign to have torn down and replaced with a better one instead of the sports arena that the university wants to build. So, thereby about to render his friends homeless. I have a series of medical science fiction books that feature a lady doctor in space and her space merchant husband. I have a series of books set in the dreamland, where your mind goes when you go to sleep. And my latest independent series, the Lord Thomas Canago books, which are 
humorous space opera, which is sort of Jeeves and Wooster in space, about the feckless young lordling and the very sensible gentleman who tries to keep him from getting in trouble. Jeeves and Wooster. Oh, that's good. That's oh, just is. good material right there. Wow. Uh, and then um, you also are carrying on a series from Robert Asprin. Yes. That's a favorite one of mine, near and dear to my heart. Oh, yeah. Absolutely mine, too. The Myth Adventures of Oz and Skeev, or Skeev and Oz, depending on who gets to the microphone first. <laughs> Bob started it back in 1978. And I, I found it when I got to college, and I started reading them, and I loved them. I absolutely loved them because they're full of terrible puns, but also full of an undying friendship. They will never let each other down. Despite the, as I said, terrible puns and the situations they put themselves into, there's a good deal of larceny going on, but also a lot of helping other people in the midst of all of that. And Bob wrote the first 12, then he, said he wanted to work with me. So we wrote the next five novels and a short story collection together. And since his passing, I've published two new novels and I'm working on a third. Oh, I, I miss Bob terribly, but they were so much fun. Oh man, and so many different ways to use the word myth yes. in the title. Right. Uh, I remember I, I love to scrounge through used bookstores and you find the, the most amazing books that you wouldn't necessarily find in other places. And I remember stumbling across this book. Uh, we had an interesting cover, of course, called Another Fine Myth. Yes. And I almost didn't pick it up because it sounded like it was the sequel and I couldn't find what the first book was. Uh, but I did grab it and I read it. And yes, that is the first book. And it, it, it after I read it, I'm like, oh, yeah, it's uh, uh, an Abbott and, Co not Abbott and Costello, Laurel and Laurel Hardy. And Hardy yes. Laurel and Hardy reference. I'm like, now this totally makes sense, especially after reading it and hearing the voice of the, 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 just the voice the story is told in. And yes, I love the puns. As listeners of the show will know, I am the dad joke king, and uh, puns are, uh, puns are my bread and butter. Love it. Absolutely love it. Mm -hmm. so, and just the way that you can't decide if, if Oz is a pervert or just perfect. Uh, I just love that running joke as well. Um, so that's that's fantastic. Uh, and then the other, uh, another book that made me fall in love with your work was the uh, Dragon Lover's Guide to Her. Yes. I was such a huge Anne McCaffrey fan. Mm -hmm. That was my gateway drug into uh, fantasy and, and and then the books turned more and more sci-fi and I loved that. And so you got the opportunity to write the definitive um, almanac on on the world there. Um, and she's she's uh, another one of these great artists that has passed on. Uh, what was? Do you remember what that experience was like and the access you had to materials behind the scenes? Materials oh yes, I, I remember it as if it were yesterday. We, we came to Ireland, we stayed in her house. She sat with us in her sitting room and with her many cats passing through the room and she told us the things that she had never been able to put into a book but were background material that she used the science that it was based on it isn't actually fantasy it is science right. fiction because she worked with a biologist dr jack cohen who is the university of birmingham england and she wanted to have these strong characters in a, a terribly difficult situation and how they thought themselves out of it, how they worked with the local wildlife to create a viable culture and a viable lifestyle for themselves. And she, she built such an amazing world with the, the threadfall pattern, for example, the, the threat of the, the life-sucking 
filaments that came out of space. It turns out that the threadfall pattern, when a mathematician that she knew tried to chart it to make sure that it was a consistent threadfall, mm -hmm. that her mind, her subconscious, had put it together so it was accurate, so it was consistent. Oh, wow, that's amazing. Your subconscious is a powerful tool. Yeah. And, of course, she had great characters. Everybody loved Lessel and Falar and Master Robinson, her own favorite. So, wow. Did you have any role in the artwork for the book? Or were, were you just well, in a way, uh, the, our friend Todd Cameron Hamilton, who did most of the art, he did the cover, absolutely. And I'm on page 75. There's a picture of me in it. <laughs> but he was the primary artist on it. He came with us to Ireland, and he had a has had a, a background in pre-med. He, he was, among other things, a pre-med scholar, decided not to go on to medicine. So when they were drawing the dragons, she, he was able to create the skeleton and the musculature that she had always wanted to have pictured that our other artists didn't realize how, how they worked, how, yeah. how their, you know, the striations, the strength, where, where the extra sets of muscles are for essentially a six-limbed creature. And that's what a lot of people didn't realize this, is a lot of Hearn's native fauna were six-limbed. Right. And we keep thinking that a dragon is just four limbs with wings, right? No, 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 that's six limbs. Yes, that's right. right. So yeah, there is a lot of science behind this. That's, that's Absolutely. Amazing. And she, she consulted this biologist who gave her good advice about how to uplift the primitive creatures into what they needed, which were large-sized dragons that could crisp thread out of the air. Right. Yeah. Right. Oh, that's amazing. What, so what are some uh, newer projects you've been working on recently? Newer projects you've worked on recently? Well, I have been working, I had been working with Eric Flint, who of course passed away tragically, and we were working on a book together for the 1632 universe, and part of that has been excerpted as a short story for the upcoming 1632 and Beyond magazine. The first episode is out, the first issue is out now. And it, it has a great cover. They're absolutely trying to follow in Eric's vision and opening up the, the world to more writers. Eric must have helped over 100 young writers get their first sale in writing for the Grantville Gazette. And some of them went on to write books for him. Well, what a wonderful opportunity that you get to, what a wonderful opportunity that you get to still carry that on and, and work with that magazine. And I would rather have had Eric here, Yeah. but I will, I will carry it on the best I can. I will carry on with the zone of the world that I claimed when, when he was alive. So I'm looking forward to finishing that one. It's going to be fun. Excellent. That's great. And then you were, I noticed that you were here with a number of uh, other authors. Uh, writers of the writers of the future are were they also judges? The no, these are winners. These okay. are people who won the contest. Some some of them quite a long time ago. Uh, Susan Krupa, I think, dates from volume ten or something like that. And this is we're we're moving into year forty. I was gonna, I, the last the one I saw up there was volume thirty nine. Right, so that's yeah, that's the latest one. That's the first one that so I was the editor. The one that's coming out. Yes, that's oh, right. Wow. We're gathering the stories now. So it'll be exciting. And the illustrators of the future, a separate contest within, within the confines of that. Every story is given to one of the illustrator judges, winners to illustrate. So 
this is this is a privilege because when often when you publish a short story, that's it. There's there's nothing else around it. Every one of these stories gets its own illustration, a color illustration. Yeah. And when the artists and the authors meet for the first time, which they do at the gala event, it's instant bonding, <laughs> and it's so much fun to watch them because it, the authors can pick out their piece of art instantly, just the snap of the fingers, and they're wow. they're already on it. That's, that, oh, it's that great. I love that part. Uh, now, before the internet, there were a number of um, monthly magazines that where a lot of authors got their start or would try out different story ideas. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah. Fantasy and science fiction, Asimov, uh, analog. Uh, were you ever involved in, uh, in that group? Actually, no. I, most of, almost all of my stories have been published in anthologies. I wrote uh, a couple of articles for Dragon Magazine. Um, I wrote technical articles for Video Action Magazine, but most of my stuff ended up in anthologies. So everybody gets to it their own way. Yeah, yeah. So is that how that, that's how you got into the market? I started out writing gaming materials for Mayfair Games. Wow. So I was a D&D player from 1976 onward. <laughs> Coincidentally, Mayfair, I believe, was the publisher of the Dragon Riders of Hearn game. That's correct, and that's actually how pretty much all of this got started. When they were working on the game, they got permission from Anne. They, they licensed the, the images. They, they worked with Robin Wood, the artist who did all of the portraits for the, for the game. And Todd, her son, came from college to be a sun, summer, summer intern at Mayfair. Wow. So when I met Bill, he was already friends with Anne and Todd. And then we got to know each other. So it, it's it's been I, it's been family that I didn't know that I had. <laughs> oh man, I'll have to uh, bring this up to Todd when I talk with him. <laughs> Absolutely, no, yeah. he, he's he's proud of it. He's in the Dragon Lovers Guide to Pern as well. There's a story about well, there's an article about how the wings of dragons are organized, and that's mm -hmm. his. Ah. So yeah. Yeah, love talking with him about that that world, and man, you really have covered quite a ground. Uh, I am privileged. I, I I never stop being thrilled about where where things have taken me. Well, in as much as you can talk about it, where does Jody Lynn Nye go from here? Oh well, I have a couple of new series that I would like to get going. Uh, one science fiction that I started out as a premise for radio series that somebody I knew was working on, and that fell apart. And I said, why shouldn't I just carry that on? And there's a fantasy series, an, a kind of epic fantasy series with humor in it, naturally, that I want to do that I think is going to be fun. It's already fun to work on. I did. It turns out that the story that I wrote for Volume 34 of the Writers of the Future contest as a judge um, is background for the, ma for the main character's boss. <laughs> Isn't it neat how these stories read other stories. Yes, absolutely. Oh, that's wonderful. All right. Well, thank you very much for your time and uh, what a fascinating career you've had. I look forward to your work in the future. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate talking to you.
Hey, DCR fans, do you ever dream of quitting your job to become a successful writer? This is internationally best-selling indie author and friend of Dungeon Crawlers Radio, Michael Brent Collings, inviting you to join me at bestsellerlife.com DCR to unlock my tips, tricks, and hacks for a successful writing career. A portion of every sale at bestsellerlife.com DCR goes to support Dungeon Crawlers Radio. And even better, another portion goes to charity. So go to bestsellerlife.com DCR and kickstart your writing adventure today. Hello, Dungeon Crawlers. Matai back again from Fanex, and I am talking with Troy Denning. Hi, thanks for having me. Glad to have you on here. So, uh, Troy, you've had quite a long and illustrious career. How, how long have you been uh, authoring? Um, I think I published my first book in 1989. Mm -hmm. um, and it was, so that would be what, 35 years? Uh, old enough to know better, definitely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Your, your, your first book could be drinking by now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and it is. <laughs> uh, yeah, so you were, uh, you were writing Dungeons & Dragons related material back in the TSR days. Yep, that's right. My first job out of college was to become an editor for TSR. Um, and then this was back in the days when before personal computers. Uh, my first editing jobs were done on typewriters. Oh, my uh, word. Yeah. And then, then we advanced to the HP 500 mainframe computer and edited our, our work on, um, like, program editing mm -hmm. um, systems. It was, it was quite the, <laughs> the experience. It, it, not the same thing at all, but when we got our first uh, personal home computer back in the mid-'80s, there was a... Uh, word processor program that barely fit the definition of the term it was basically a typewriter for your computer no copy yeah. and paste the only thing that was good about this is that you could delete without whiteout. yeah <laughs> but I, re I remember those everything else was exactly like a typewriter. you had to hit return uh you had to set your margins and yeah hey, we were so happy to get that program when we that meant we could jump off of the HP 500, oh, man. and everybody had their own little computer, and and we didn't get it bogged down when somebody started playing uh, my roommate's game Dragons that mm -hmm. he invented and loaded onto the HP 500. <laughs> <laughs> was it was one of those text-based games. It was it was X's and O's, and like the dragon would be a big D, mm -hmm. and you'd you know you'd wander through the X's and until you you know down hallways where the X's weren't the way X's were the walls, uh -huh. and uh, it was. He invented it in college, which also had an HP 500, and we went to college together. So he invented this game, loaded it onto that HP 500, and it was so popular that they had to keep restricting the hours you could play it until <laughs> finally you could only play it between the hours of 2 and 3 in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> then he when TSR got um, the same HP 500, um, he loaded it onto that, and it was... I mean, work stopped. <laughs> it was it was an incredible, incredible it, game. It was the quake of its day. Huh? Yeah, it was. It was. <laughs> wow. Well, do you remember the titles of any of those first uh, few novels you published? Um, sure. The first novel I published was Waterdeep, under the pseudonym Richard Allenson. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that was that they wanted to put out three novels very quickly to um, s celebrate and kind of facilitate 
the conversion from first edition AD&D to second edition AD&D. Mm -hmm. And so they hired three different authors to write those, those novels. And so three different authors all writing under the same pen name. Right, right. and that's why it was all in, son, all in one. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. And so then after that, uh, something kind of weird happened. Oh, yeah, yeah. So years after that, um, but one of the other authors and I both went on to, to become prolific and write um, for a long period of time. Um, and I would... When Goodreads came out, you know, came into being and Amazon came into being, sometimes I would look myself up to see how my books were doing um, with the reviews and so forth. And I would discover that I was credited with writing a lot of books I had not written. <laughs> and, and it was because somebody had gotten confused with um, confused Scott Sanson and me and thought that because we had the same pseudonym, we were the same person and would end up crediting me with writing a lot of the books that Scott had written. So rather than two people sharing one pen name, it was one person with three different names. Yeah, that's oh, what they thought. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, so. Scott probably didn't like that too much, huh? Um, I don't know <laughs> it, it, how much it, it perturbed him. We never really talked about it. We, we kind of fell out of touch, anything but very marginally, um, because we, we just didn't have anything in common. He was a really good guy, and uh, I enjoyed, you know, the few times we bumped into each other and enjoyed getting together with him. But, but uh, it was just one of those things. So I didn't, and I, at the times, the last time I talked to him, I don't think I had been aware of this, this glitch that was going on. Right, yeah. So yet another reason, kids, why you don't believe everything you read on the Internet. <laughs> yeah, very so, <laughs> very much so. So uh, with the TSR material, was that uh, Forgotten Realms? I started with Forgotten Realms. The, mm -hmm. the first novel that I just mentioned was in the Forgotten Realms. And then I went on to write several more novels, well, two more novels in the Forgotten Realms, um, Dragon Wall and The Parched Sea. And then I switched. I was also a game designer, tabletop role-playing mm -hmm. game designer at the time. And I designed a game with Tim Brown, or a camp campaign setting with Tim Brown called Dark Sun. Mm -hmm. And... Um, I, when we finished that, that uh, game design, the book department decided they wanted to do some novels, five novels set in, in that world. And so since I had already um, published three novels with them in the Forgotten Realms, um, they had me write five novels in the Dark Sun Realms, um, the Prism Pentad, and that came on. That has actually been one of my most enduring and successful series. Um, I still... You know, to, to this day, it was, you know, 30, 30 years after I wrote them, and they're, they're out of print. But I still get people coming up and having me sign their copies and, and asking me, do you have any more Dark Sun novels? You know, oh, yeah. How amazing that yeah. is. So you were, so as a game designer, uh, how do you go about, like, wh what are the important things you need to, to hit when you're designing a campaign setting or, you uh, you know, the campaign challenges, the goals. The, you know, when you're putting this whole story together, how well, do you do that? Well, the most important thing to me is is just being consistent in, in what you design. You, you start by by deciding what kind of world you want to design. And, and in Dark Sun's case, we decided we wanted to design a world where it made sense um, for artists to draw characters and, and paint characters. 
the way they like to paint them, which was without a lot of clothes. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we made it a hot uh, yeah. world. And, um, and then everything kind of followed on from that. We wanted, uh, we wanted to make it a tougher world, campaign world, than what the other worlds are, were around them because there was a lot of uh, problem with, with characters becoming super powerful, super quick. Munchkins. Yeah. Yep. So yeah. we uh, we s basically s s um, set it up so that you either started with a third level character or they died. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. mm -hmm. Interesting. Great. And then you've written for several other famous in, uh, IPs as well. Yep. I've written for um, Star Wars and Halo. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, anybody who's listened to the show for a while knows we're big fans of, of Star Wars. What are some of the uh, nooks of that galaxy far, far away that you've dived into? Um, well, I wrote the middle book. I'm, all of my books for Star Wars are in Legends, so that's the old continuity. Right. Um, and I wrote the middle book in the um, New Jedi Order um, series. That was a 19-book series written by... I don't know how many different authors, at least five, maybe ten mm -hmm. um, different authors. And uh, that was quite the experience. It was it, it, my friend Bob Salvatore, R.A. Salvatore. Um, yeah, another friend of the show. We've yeah. talked with him a few times. He's yeah. great. Yeah. He, had, he knew that I had written some um, Star Wars game material for West End Games. And he knew that, of course, I'd written many Forgotten Realms novels by that time. And um, he wrote the first book in the New Jedi Order series where an um, incredibly traumatic event happens. And um, I'm not going to spoil <laughs> it, but, <laughs> but it had something to do with Wookiees. <laughs> <laughs> Those poor Wookiees. <laughs> yeah. So um, he had told Shelley when he came on board with that, he told Shelley of my interest and suggested she contact me. And so she contacted me and said, would you be interested in writing some Star Wars novels? And I'm like, uh, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, she said, send me a couple of samples. So I, I sent some samples in of some of the other books I'd written, some of the ones I was most proud of, of course. And um, I kept contacting her every month just to see, hey, did you get, what do you think of the samples? Anything happening? And she'd, she'd say, oh, we liked them, but we're not ready. And that went on for eight months, and I'm oh, uh, yeah, I'm thinking, okay, this is time to stop bugging this poor woman. This, <laughs> it's just not going to happen, and she's being trying to let me down softly. So I stopped calling, and then as soon as I stopped calling, she called me and said, okay, we're ready to make an offer. And I and I'm like, uh, okay, I'll get a proposal together. <laughs> and she says, um, no, we know what we want you to write. Uh -huh. <laughs> we just need you to say yes. And I said, okay, well, what do you want me to write? Um, she said, I can't tell you till you sign an NDA. And I said, okay, send me the NDA. She said, um, we're kind of under tight timings here, so we want you to sign the contract at the same time. <laughs> and, and, I, and I said, I began to think, oh, this sounds kind of suspicious. Yeah. Sign it first, then <laughs> yeah. read it. Yeah. 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 And, uh, but I, it was Star Wars, so what do you say? I said, yeah. And so I signed the contract and, and the NDA and then, a week later, got uh, like a 600-page bound, um, spiral-bound note or um, loose-leaf notebook, yeah. full of the Bible material. And I start going through it, and I get to the part where they list what happens in each book. And of course, Bob's book wasn't out on the market yet, 
So I didn't know what happened in it. So I'm reading through the plot points that they want him to cover, and I come to this certain plot point where this poor Wookiee suffers. It just tries to hold up a moon. And um, um, I, I call him up, and I say, Bob, Bob, you killed so-and-so. <laughs> and, and Bob just starts laughing, and he says, wait until you see what you do. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I immediately jumped ahead to the book that I was um, supposed to, to um, write. And I, first of all, I was, it took me a lot longer to get through those plot points than, than the plot points for the other books because it was the middle book in this, this long, long series. And everything that wouldn't fit in either end, they shoved into the middle book. Mm-hmm. So it was like, it was a huge, huge number of plot points. And I'm, I'm reading down through the plot points going, uh-huh, I can do that, uh-huh, I can do that, uh-huh, I, I see how that works. And then I get to this one, uh, somebody dies, somebody that, you you, you know, <laughs> it was... You wouldn't want to die. You wouldn't want to die, and I'm like, oh, my God, I can't believe that. And then I read a little bit further, a certain planet falls, and I'm like, ugh. Uh, uh, a certain character dies that I wasn't, he wasn't like a hero, but he was still a long-term character. I was like, oh my God, everybody's going to hate me after I write this book. <laughs> but I had signed the contract, so what could I do? Time to resurrect Allenson again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, um, but so at that point I was like, uh, um, I just don't know, I called him up and said, okay, I'll do all this, but I can't do it in one book. It's just, there's just too much material. I, I think I might need three. And they said, ha ha, nice try. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to do it in one. And so that, that ended up being an 800 page manuscript that, that I turned in, oh which, my. yeah, which was actually the only the equivalent of two books, but, but it's a really thick book. Yeah. 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 Oh my gosh. So uh, what's, so what's in Troy Denning's future? What are some projects you're working on? Or hoping to work on. Well, right now, for the first time in, I don't know, 35 years, I don't have a deadline. And that's because um, in May of 2022, I had a, a heart valve replacement and open heart surgery. Mm-hmm. So we ended up having to postpone um, a book that I was writing at that time, a, a Halo book called Outcasts. Um, that was, um, we ended up having to postpone it for about a year. So that just came out last um, August, and um, we, uh, 343 and and Gallery have said, well, we want you to write more Halo books, but we don't know what they are right now. So I've been kind of on a holding pattern for that, and I haven't really minded it because I had, when I had my heart surgery, there was a lot of house maintenance that didn't get done. So I, and I, I needed to get back in shape you know, it, it was pretty traumatic. So I got back in shape, and then after um, I'd turned in the book and didn't have anything else to do, I started to tackle these house projects. So I spent the summer digging um, four-foot post holes and, oh yeah, jacking up my deck and, and cutting the bottom off of my six-by-six f- six six posts mm-hmm. and pouring new pads and, and sometimes, you know, just doing all of this crazy maintenance. So you're really breaking in that new heart. Yeah, I am. I am. It, well, it's not a total new heart. It's right. just new heart valve. But yeah, yeah, I'm like, making Well, you testing. look like you're doing really well today. Are yeah. things going all right? Yeah, yeah. I lost 25 pounds, and I'm in 
you know, much better shape than, than I was beforehand. I think what, what I had was a, a bicuspid aortic valve, and, and my mom had the same thing, and so I, I kind of knew that I might have this problem, but it developed what they call stenosis, where it just got stiff and it wouldn't let the blood flow. So over the past 20 years, I, I started to slow down. And I was, you know, I just kept slowing down and having more and more trouble exercising. And I've always been a big exerciser. I love exercise, but it just got to be harder and harder. And I just kept thinking, God, it sucks to get old. God, it sucks to get old. <laughs> and then after we'd found out about my mom's valve, she would, when she was 70, she had to have her valve replaced, and she smoked two packs a day. So I thought, man, you know, when I'm 70, I'll start to worry about it, right? <laughs> <laughs> but it, you got a head start on that. Yeah, I got a head start on that. I started to have trouble climbing stairs, and, and finally I just said, I better go get checked. And I got went, went and got checked, and they said, yeah, you're going to have to have that replaced sometime this year. And then we'll, we'll do some tests. So every time we do tests, they do move the next test up, the next test up until I finally got to see the surgeon. And I said, man, I only need two months to finish this book. And he said, it was Outcast, the one that was postponed. And he said, you wait two months to finish that book, you're never going to finish that book. <laughs> so, so we postponed it. Had to take a little break. Yeah. So when you are free of deadlines, does that make it a little easier to be a creative, expressive, experimental, or does a deadline help you to focus better? Um, I don't really know since I've never been free of deadlines before. <laughs> but I haven't been writing this summer. I've been working on, the, on my house projects and just kind of, yeah. you know, seeing what life is like when you don't have a deadline mm -hmm. and um i like it actually <laughs> so <laughs> but um it, I, i'm getting to the point where i finished all the house projects so if um if i'm still free of a deadline in, in another month i'm just going to start um, some of the projects that have occurred to me over the years and i have one in particular that i want to jump on and just start hammering away at that one excellent so, yeah that sounds great well, thank you very much, Troy. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. I really appreciate you giving us the time. All right. Well, thank you for having me. It was a lot of fun. Remember, the Force will be with you always. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you like this episode, please give us a five-star rating on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you find us.